But I like to live in the city. There are some pros and cons for it. There are things, good things about a city. Being able to walk out of the door and round the corner to the shops, particularly if you're getting older. We lived on the outskirts of London for nearly ten years. Then we moved away for the very reason it busy not conducive to bringing up your children. We're in the outskirts of the city. It's very convenient. We've got a good bus service into the city centre and I think we would opt not to live any further out, especially with teenage children. I've lived in London for a lot of years and I would never live back in London because it's just too noisy, dirty, squashed together, no countryside. Well, what we find when we visit a city, the noise and hustle and bustle is um, too much for us, really, I suppose. Yeah, we'd like the peace of the countryside now. I live in Harlington, which is a small village three miles away from the motorway. We have our own railway station, self-sufficient, and it's an ideal place for retiring into. We go to London on the train, we come to Milton Keynes shopping, we can get what we want locally. We've got all the facilities in the village which we need. I can't think of any facility that we haven't got, which we would get in the town, and we haven't got the hustle and bustle. I live in a city. I think it's good because there's loads of like shops and there's loads of people around to play with and there's loads of shows. and The countryside's OK, but it may be just a bit boring. Because if you have a big house, it might be isolated unless you've got brothers or sisters. Hello, I'm David Goldblatt, and with me in the studio to discuss the city in the post-war UK are Professor Dory Massey of the Open University and Ken Warpole, independent writer and researcher on urban issues. Hi. Heard some pretty familiar anti-urban sentiment in those clips before. Ken, why does it seem to be that there is a very deep-rooted anti-urbanism in British culture? Well, I think if you look historically, Englishness has always been associated with the countryside, with the kind of picturesque and the big country house and the kind of enduring nature of village life and so on. And there's a very interesting book by Martin Wiener which says that really the English, as soon as they've made their money, they want to get back, as it were, to the land and to back to this kind of original identity. And yet, you know, Britain has been an industrialised urban society for an incredibly long time. Doreen, are you ever surprised that there isn't a more kind of positive feel about the city in what has been for over 100 years an overwhelmingly urban society? Absolutely. In fact, the fact that industrialisation in Britain took place so heavily in the cities may be one of the reasons for the antipathy. I think one of the interesting things that comes out of what Ken said is that not only is there a history to our notions of identity and the fragmentation of identity that nowadays we think, gosh, everything's fallen to pieces and it's not like it used to be. But also there's a geography, you know, and that when Ken talked about that feeling of settledness and Englishness, there's a feeling of country identities being somehow coherent in a way that urban identities aren't. What urbanness is associated with is precisely diversity and fragmentation and hustle and bustle, just like we heard in the clips right at the beginning of the tape. So there's a geography, I think, to the notion of identity that is very strong in Britain. And the question is really why people can't face up to what I would say are the really positive aspects of the city, just as you were implying. I mean, both Ken and I have chosen to live in the city. And I think cities have enormously positive aspects, precisely because of the mixtures they bring together. They are the crucible of the new. They are where you can have such a range of things on offer. Yes, I think that's very important because I was born at the end of the war and for me, being a European was a way of looking forward to some kind of political progress and to be, in a way, in the city was to be closer to Europe because of European films, different newspapers and, of course, other Europeans that you might bump into. So for me, the city is a way of being connected 
to Europe and to other parts of the world in much more immediate ways. Do you think this anti-urbanism is differentiated across British society, that there are actually some classes or some groups or some regions that are much more anti-urban or pro-urban than others? Yes, definitely. One set of groups with whom, in a sense, I would identify would be those people that go to the city precisely to escape the kind of oppressive small community, as they would see it, of the countryside. I mean, one of the things about living on a small scale in a, in a community about which you can know almost everything is that you have to conform to the rules. And large parts of cities are made up by people who have escaped that kind of oppression to come precisely to find the diversity, either to find anonymity or to find other people like them with whom they can form a new community within the city. So, yes, there's definitely differentiations, and that's just one example. Have the people who like the city, basically, in Britain ever been on top? Has there ever been a moment, Ken, in the history of cities in Britain where the pro-urban forces have actually been dominant? Has there been a golden age of city building and of civic pride? People usually, in this point of the argument, refer to the notion of the civic gospel. And what is the civic gospel? <laughs> well, at the end of the 19th century, I mean, I've always relied a lot on the historian Eileen Yeo for this. I mean, there was clearly enormous class conflicts in British cities in the 1840s, 1850s, over identity, over politics and so on. The working class has wanted their own institutions, their trade unions their churches, their libraries and so on. And in fact, what the second half of the 19th century around in the city is about is a new kind of institution building, the creation of the museums, the parks, the galleries, in a sense, the creation of a new unified public. And the civic gospel was about using cities to make citizens as a way of healing class antagonisms of the first half of the 19th century through a notion of citizenship. Can I just pick up on that citizenship issue? Because do you think there's something in British culture or the dominant aspects of British culture that is actually rather frightened of having a public that is made up of citizens rather than subjects and that perhaps that city-citizenship link is part of the reason why there's such a negative attitude towards cities in some quarters? I think we ebb and flow about whether we like citizenship or not. We embrace the market and then suddenly, I remember the, towards the end of the last Tory government, people started talking about walking with a purpose and we've got to, English people have got to regain their sense of doing their duty and responsibilities. And they only recover notions of citizenship when the market's kind of wreaked so much havoc. And I think this relationship between as it were, market forces and public notions of collective responsibilities in the city is always a tension. I mean, I want to pick you up, David, on the way in which you phrased the question, because, yes, I think I absolutely agree with Ken that that was a moment of great pride when civic pride was expressed through cities. We're talking about the, the late 19th century, the, the high point of, of British imperialism in certain kinds of ways, commercial imperialism. But... Take Manchester as an example. We glorify now in those huge red constructions, those wonderful buildings that were built at the high point of the cotton trade, but the people who built them lived outside of Manchester. So yes, there was a huge civic pride, and yes, things like Manchester Central Library got built, and they were fantastic. But the rich were still escaping to other places, down towards the Mersey, where they were upstream from the smells. And also we must remember that this was the period about which Engels wrote, that we have in, within those Victorian cities huge inequalities. So we look now at those buildings and they're wonderful, but the workers that worked in them lived in real squalor around the centre of the city of Manchester. So there are always these ambiguities and different sides to it. And I think what it raises is a question which we need to carry through to today, which is how exactly do we measure 
the success of cities? On what criteria would we say a city is successful? From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk/use.